Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie, and we're on our weekly podcast today. Today's discussion will be very interesting. I don't want to tell you what it is yet because I want you to kind of understand just really how important it is. But in general, it's a pretty significant topic, and it's one that is very subtle. And subtle is the key because it's either something that you really don't even know what's going on with yourself or someone else, or it's really apparent and it's so obvious that you can't ignore it. But it's a very interesting topic. A little bit about me. I am a child and adolescent psychiatrist, board certified, also board certified in family practice. I am the medical director for the Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services, the largest child welfare system in the country. Last week, we talked a little bit about baby fix, which was our topic, and that was really getting into why we would want to see having a baby as a fix for a relationship that may be heading south. And we talked to an expert. We had a couple great callers. We had some voicemails and really saw the reasons of why babies are oftentimes used in relationships to band-aid problems that are really going to make it fall apart. And in the end, it really doesn't help. It only adds a stressor. So take a listen to that podcast. It was very interesting. And so this week, my questions to you are, do you ever wonder what is meant when you hear someone has an eating disorder? And do you ever wonder if someone you know or yourself may have an eating disorder? One of the interesting things about eating disorders, they're either really subtle and you kind of don't know, or they're really apparent and they're obvious. And the subtle ones, obviously, are the harder ones to treat, diagnose, all that kind of stuff. And those are the kind, and we'll talk to our expert a little bit later to really hone in on what that really looks like. But the ones that I've seen in my practice and experience have been ones of people who eat odd ways They're not necessarily throwing up. They're not necessarily binging and purging, but they really just control and restrict what's going in their body. And they'll fill themselves up with water or they will eat a protein bar and that will be all they eat all day. But in general, their nutrition really isn't good and it really does wreak havoc on their body from a medical standpoint, but also then starts to limit the kinds of foods that they get and really then they start to lose weight and it becomes this snowball effect that they really, you know, hook on to. So it's it's interesting to see how subtle things can still be an eating disorder and you'd never know it. So stay tuned. Come on back. one eight five five sophie now one eight five five seven six seven four nine six six. Give me a call. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your questions. And remember, every caller will get a free copy of my book, Side by Side, the Mother-Daughter Conflict Resolution Book. Come on back and we'll talk about eating disorders and we'll have our expert join us and some callers give us some input. I'd like to introduce our guest expert today. Very uh, experienced woman, very talented, has a lot of experience in this field and um very proud and excited to have her on because we have a lot of questions for her. We're going to have a couple callers that she can help through some of their understandings. But in general, she's really got a good handle on this subject. And it's a tough subject. So I think, you know, her 20 years of experience working with people struggling with eating disorders, she has uh, started on her career at the Toronto General Hospital and eating disorders program. I've even heard of that program. It's world-renowned. It's a treatment facility. Its emphasis is on cognitive behavioral therapy and its introjection into how not to continue that eating disorder, how to treat it, because I think at the end of the day, a lot of self-control and a lot of retraining of your brain has to be a huge component for the treatment, and CBT, or cognitive behavioral therapy, 
is a cornerstone, and I think since she's had an emphasis on that, we're going to learn a lot. She moved to the Bay Area of San Francisco, becoming the founder of the New Dawn Eating Disorders Program, something very, very uh, exciting, and she should be very proud of that, and we'll talk about that. And she talks about uh, working with all ages of people, women, men, individuals, children, families, groups, because I want to talk to her a little bit about what she's seen from her perspective about all of these different age groups and both genders. And I want to talk about a little bit and see are there any differences in the populations, differences in the genders, and differences in what she may think are the triggering issues to a lot of eating disorders. So I'd like to welcome and introduce Lynn Martin, registered dietitian. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. I'm happy you're here. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I told them, my listeners, about you, but I want them to hear from you. Okay. Well, um, like uh, you had mentioned, I've been in the field for about 20 years, and I spend almost all of my time working with people who struggle with eating disorders or some form of emotional eating. And I do have a cognitive behavioral therapy background. I love that. Um, and um, I think that combination with also being able to look at how, even when people don't struggle with an eating disorder, food has so much emotional attachment. Yeah. Having that combination is very invaluable for people when they're looking at making changes around their eating. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking of like a pepperoni pizza that's making me happy. So there is a lot of emotion attached to food. Absolutely. And so you founded the New Dawn Eating Disorders Program in Sausalito, right? Yes. Myself and uh, the clinical director, I developed the nutrition component, and I developed it based on the work that I had done at the uh, Toronto General Program. And in fact, I still do um, meal groups in my private practice that are, once again, based on the work that we did there in Toronto. Very nice. Well, before we get into, like, really true eating disorders, Tell us all a little bit about CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy in general, and then how you integrate it into a program for the treatment of any kind of emotional eating. CBT is basically um, kind of looking at things that are the way people are thinking and kind of breaking it down. So starting to kind of backtrack a little bit. So when somebody says, you know, I, I just ended up having this really difficult situation and I don't know where it came from. If we actually backtrack, what we find is there's usually a trigger or something that made them follow through with what they were going to do. And if they actually look back, they can often find the trigger. But in the moment, it's kind of like your brain just goes this one direction. Yeah. And when you actually step back and look at where it came from, and start to look at, oftentimes with eating disorders, there's a lot of negative thinking. Right. And so with CBT, what you want to do is kind of interrupt the negative thinking. So you actually have to get them to go, okay, well, when you started to think that way, look back and think of, consider the facts. So if they all of a sudden want to say, somebody said, um, I look great, and I just threw it back at them, then I want them to consider the facts. Well, do you know this person? Do they lie to you often? and kind of having to force them to actually change their way of thinking based on kind of real-life things that are going on rather than just let's change, uh, say, a positive thought over and over again. I think those pieces are also helpful, but also yeah. having that concrete argument with your yourself is where CBT comes in and can be very helpful. And then it lands you in a better way, and then you start to strengthen that muscle and think that way. Yeah, and I think you're more likely to believe things when you actually are looking at it from the perspective of somebody else. In particular, with eating disorders, that's why group is so 
beneficial is because when people are sitting there, they can be empathic for someone else, but they can't be empathic for themselves. Right, right, right. And so when you actually have to kind of consider things from somebody else's perspective, it makes it harder to just keep that negative voice on yourself. Got it. Okay, so, you know, here in, in Hollywood, L.A., I treat a lot of actresses, young, older women, and, you know, in the news today, we're seeing... And I was on Inside Edition yesterday about Demi Moore. We see uh-huh. a lot of issues with women and their eating and young girls and actresses. And how do I, I mean, what would you tell people that are listening to really look at, it's unbelievable how they can see themselves on the screen or they can see themselves in a picture or whatever it is, and they look beautiful and they still don't believe it. Is yeah. that where you use CBT to unhook that negative thinking? Well, you know, it's it's CBT, but it's also nutrition. So there was a study. Um, it's called the uh, the Keys Study, the Minnesota Starvation Study. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yep. In that study, what they did is Ansel Keys decided he wanted to see what it would be like post-war. So he wanted to see how people would do with not having as much food around. So he found normal, healthy males with no psychological issues, and he put them on a semi-starvation diet. And when he did this, the side effects that they developed were depression, anxiety, difficulty sleeping, feeling cold all of the time, body Uh, image issues. They started to chew gum more frequently. They started to drink lots of water and coffee. And these are all the same side effects that people struggle with with an eating disorder. And most men in the 60s didn't have body image issues. And so... That is a physiological brain chemistry change that occurs with starvation. Uh, And when you think of a lot of these women who are in Hollywood or in front of the camera, a lot of them are dieting in order to have a certain body type in order for different roles or pieces like that. And what that does is it impacts their brain chemistry and it makes a change to that. So when they do, when people do eating disorder recovery treatment and they do a meal component as well as the CBT, that combination works on the brain chemistry piece as well as just the trying to work on the thinking piece. That's great. So that's, that's the combination yeah, that works. And that's fascinating because how many of these women or men that come in with eating disorder issues that look mental health symptoms, basically, are really just metabolic issues and need their electrolytes or their nutrition, you know, really focused on instead of being put on a, a medication for their depression or their anxiety or their insomnia. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely um, a place to, to start, but it's also a place that there's a lot of fear. I think when people work so hard to get their weight to a certain place, then they're afraid that if I start to eat again, I'm just going to gain weight and right. then they're afraid to go there. What do you tell somebody? Because I have many people, many actresses especially, that say to me, you know what, I, I can't eat. I just can't allow myself to eat. I think when people go to that place, I I usually tell them what you do know is how to do what you're doing presently, and the reason you're here is because it's not working for you. And so I want you to see if you would be willing to try something different for a couple of weeks. If you really hate it, you can always go back. And what would that be? You'd put them on a diet or or of their comfort level, or or do you work with them? Well, I put them on a meal plan. So basically, I'm going to, with regards to anorexia in particular, there's so much fear around the different foods. Right. And what the research has shown is if people start to actually take risks and eat foods that they're so afraid of, that over time, they actually start to be less afraid of them. And what I've seen over and over again in my treatment is that when people eat those foods that are 
so fearful, it does decrease the symptoms. So I've heard over and over again from people who have bulimia that we require them to actually eat a dessert. So they're required to bring in like a cookie or a brownie or something like that. And then you... those are the things that they would binge on. And when they do it consistently, they stop binging on them. That's interesting. So if it's something that they binge on, you have them bring it in and they eat it in a controlled mechanism and they learn how to control it and eat it and reinforce that so that when they see that food, they don't get out of control with it. Right. And part of that is if you are really hungry, then you have no chance against not binging. And so this is what happens is there's a cycle that occurs that people restrict, then they binge, and then they restrict, and then they end up binging again. Whereas I want people to eat a healthy amount of food, and then they may binge. But if they have eaten enough food and they're not as hungry, they're less likely to binge as intensely, and they have a better chance of resisting the urge. It's all related to the dieting. And then the other piece is just this idea that, oh, well, if I eat a brownie, I can't eat it in a healthy way. And we work on teaching them how they can eat it in a healthy way, and they get confidence and learn that they can, and then they're more able to do it outside. And then what do you tell somebody who says that you, well, I can't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get fat, I can't do it, I'm going to get fat? Well, I think that is where I'll tell them, you know how to diet, you know how to get the weight off, so I need you to be willing to try and see what would happen. Until you actually try something different, you're not going to know. Right. And so, and, Well, the other piece is that when people restrict severely, their metabolism slows down. Ah. And so when they start to refeed, they sometimes, well, they will gain weight. But what happens is once they are consistent with regards to the eating, oftentimes that just levels out. And it doesn't always happen, right. but it certainly is a possibility. And so I make them aware that until we see some consistent eating, we don't know what's going to happen to your weight. I need you to be willing to give it a bit of time. And if you really hate it, you know how to reverse it. Now, some of that sounds like they've got to learn to trust you, which is probably a core issue of their mental health side of all of this. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. If there's no trust, nothing will work. And and you build that with them and work through them if they're not really kind of solid in that. Oh, absolutely. I think a big part of any of the work with people with eating disorders is they have to have some trust in that what you say is actually what's going to happen. And that's where group work is also very helpful because... If you do groups and people are coming in on an ongoing basis, they get to see other people who are in group yeah. who've been there for a while, and they can say, yeah, I was there, and this happened to me. And they're much more likely to believe someone else who's actually been going through the same issue yeah, yeah, yeah. than they are me, who right. they don't know if I have or haven't. That's really interesting. I mean, the three basic eating disorders that you work around, I, I assume, are anorexia, bulimia, and binging? Uh, yes, for the most part, yeah. You see, you, you get somebody in, you kind of diagnose them, and then you move forward with an eating component and a mental health component and a health component. You have a team around these people? Absolutely. It is essential to have a team. So most of the people that I work with, they have a therapist, and then they work with me along the food component, and uh, then a lot of them will also do group as well. Fascinating. I'm even learning something. So what would you tell me is like the most important thing that you see across the board from men, women, adults, teens as a key component that spans all of that from an eating disorder perspective? What is that core issue? The core issue that they all start with? Yeah, yeah. And and Uh, having common. And dieting is that core issue. 
Yeah. And how did it? And you say it's emotional eating and and all of that stuff. But how does it begin? Like, you know, many people will say, "Well, when did I have this eating disorder? All of a sudden, I woke up and it became a habit that I was throwing up, or I was binging, or I was focused on my weight, and they didn't even realize it crept up." Because earlier, before you got on, I was talking about how eating disorders can be subtle, and you don't even know you have one, or you don't know someone you know has one, or they're obvious and they're throwing up, or they're binging, or they're losing a ton of weight and gaining a ton of weight? Well, I think they're very much, uh, it's easy to hide in today's world because so many people diet. Right. And for some people, there's just kind of like this, everybody that I've worked with will tell me that it started out as a diet, and at some point, when I first started doing even the eating disorder symptoms, say they start to vomit or something like that, they believed in their head that they would only do it for a couple of weeks because they had this short-term goal. Okay. And at some point, it flips, and it goes from them having to control to the eating disorder having control. And so I think that what happens is when they flip and don't have the control anymore, it's partly related to that brain chemistry and starvation piece. So when they say, if I'm going to throw up it, I'll only do it once or twice, what's the difference between that mind frame of thinking and I'll only do one line of cocaine, I can handle it? You know, I don't know if there is a huge difference. I think both of right. them are a way to escape. Both of them are a way to actually hurt themselves. Right. And I d- don't know enough about the cocaine and addiction component. Eating disorders aren't an addiction, but they're certainly a way to cope. Yeah, and that, that's my point, that it becomes a coping mechanism just like it's almost like a self-medication like a cocaine would be or an alcohol or a substance abuse or a gambling disorder, because oftentimes, doesn't that get reinforced in the brain, the throwing up behavior as just as much as the cocaine or the shopping or the gambling? Absolutely. And in fact, oftentimes, people who struggle with an eating disorder may go from having an eating disorder to drug or alcohol issues. And yeah, and that's what I want my listeners to understand that, you know, these get reinforced behaviors, however, and whatever the origin is, they become coping skills and self-soothing mechanisms where you soothe yourself emotionally, physically, and it just becomes something that you are glued to and you can't, and out of fear, you can't let go. And that's also part of the trusting of you, the registered dietitian or whatever, whoever is part of that team to make that transition and let go. Yeah, and I, I actually like to think of it more as self-harm, and right. most people who come into my office don't like me to say that. They would prefer me to say that they they say it's a way to soothe myself. Right. But in fact, there's this very negative voice that's in their head. It becomes a way to hurt themselves, and then they can kind of feel better. Yep. It's interesting. The other thing is, can you just elaborate a little bit more when you say they've done it, and then there's that point where it flips? And what is that point? I mean, is there any warning signs, red flags we can we can give to our listeners to be able to kind of look at themselves or others that they may be questioning if they have an eating disorder or they're in a place that's not safe? I think that that flip that occurs is something that I don't think is easy to pinpoint. What I can say is that the longer people use an eating disorder, the harder it is to turn it around because, as you said earlier, it is a coping mechanism, and when you find things that work, it's harder to change it, whereas if you haven't used it for as long, you still have other ways to cope. And so if you have any inkling that somebody's struggling, you're always better off to ask, and the more support and help they have around them, 
the better their chance of recovery. Very good. Got it. Now, tell me a little bit more about, of the populations of women, men, adults, teens, like, do women have something that triggers them more than men? Do teens have something more than adults? That kind of thing. I think that when it comes to teens, I think most instances eating disorders start in their teens. The question is sometimes they don't get help for 10 plus years. I actually just did a questionnaire for a bunch of people who I see in my group, and of all of the people who responded, all of them started between the age of 10 and 12. And most and female, male, female? women. Yeah. With regards to men, I think it still tends to start around that. I think what happens is during that adolescent phase when they're starting to try and separate from their parents, their peers are really hard. Oftentimes you'll hear, hear people say, you know, you just have to survive middle school. Right. Well, I think it's yeah. just hard for all of kids at that age group. And so they, if they don't have somebody that they can talk to or a strong base at home with regards to, you know, feeling like I had a bad day and I can talk to somebody, they have to find other ways to cope. And dieting is something that they can try and fit in and be like other people. And it starts out very innocently and turns into something that's not so innocent. Interesting. With regards to boys, I think it tends to be often you'll see kids who wrestle are at a higher risk because it's very weight-focused. And what you'll see more with boys is excessive exercise. They're much more likely to use exercise than, say, the dieting component. Although I think it's less true nowadays than maybe... 15 years ago when dieting wasn't as popular for men. Ah, got it. Listen to this outrageous thing. One of my patients told me that their daughter is in middle school. She's in sixth grade. And they had someone come in to talk to them about drug abuse and substance use. And the person who was in there lecturing to them, and this was just yesterday, told them that there are drugs out there that have side effects to help you lose weight and to be sure that they don't take them. Now, why would you tell... 200 young adolescent girls who you know are at risk of a lot of this stuff, that there are drugs out there you can get that will help you lose weight. It was craziness. And they, and he started to name them like Adderall. And, you know, he was talking about the stimulants for attention deficit disorder. Yeah, I, I think that people, I think, come from a place of trying to help but not always realizing that they the things that they say can actually open the doors to right 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 i mean aren't so helpful. these are young kids who are you know struggling with their own body image and then you're going to give them maybe a place to go and kind of ignite a fire yeah i didn't understand anyway i think it's really interesting a lot of this stuff and um what would you say is something that you would really be concerned about as far as a medical emergency in these kinds of situations do you see people that are in such a crisis that sometimes they have to go into hospital Oh, absolutely. I think in particular when people um, vomit or take laxatives, they create an imbalance in their electrolytes, which can cause a, a low potassium, which can cause their heart to stop. Yep. If, if their weight's really low, they can their heart can stop in their sleep. This is the number one killer in mental illness is an eating disorder. Yeah, and it's quiet. Yes, and I think this, the scariest part is People walk around and they feel normal, and sometimes their lab values don't show that there's an issue, and so they can walk around and think that everything's fine, and then they get a bone scan, and they have the bones of an 80-year-old woman because they have such bad osteoporosis from all of the years of restricting. Uh, See, that's interesting because what people don't realize is it could be like a silent killer. 
Absolutely. Yes. Interesting. There's a lot of those types of things that All don't right. actually show themselves. Would you be willing to take a call with me? Absolutely. Okay. Um, let's go to the phones. I think we have Jason calling in. Jason? Hi, doctor. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? You're on the phone with myself and Lynn Martin, registered dietitian up in the Bay Area. Um, I'd be curious, uh, yeah, to get your opinion on this because it's, um, I don't know if it falls exactly in with what you're talking about, but uh, my sister, she exercises a lot to the point that I think it's kind of obsession and her reasoning behind it is, you know, the physical and being healthy and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it's two or three times a day. Um, it's constant. It, It comes before anything else. She's the only person I know that goes to the gym on Thanksgiving. I don't think it's healthy. I mean, obviously working out is healthy, but I don't think that her habits are healthy. And, and I don't know if that falls in with, with this kind of, uh, you know, obsession with, with having the perfect body. I I was just wanting to get your opinion on that. Lynn, you can jump in. I just want to ask a quick question, Jason. Why are you concerned? I mean, the fact that you're concerned is interesting. Well, because it seems to take over her life. Like it seems to be the priority above all else. And, and I don't think that, you know, there are so many things in life more important than, than working out. I mean, I, I would think, but again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe this is healthy for her. I don't know. That's kind of why I'm struggling with it, I guess. Okay. Lynn, what do you think? I don't think it's healthy at all. I think that when somebody is so driven with exercise that they can't not go, then that's more about something beyond exercise. And in fact, it sounds very much like it's possible that she does struggle with an eating disorder. I know she's very careful. She has this, um, it's like a mail order thing where each week she gets deliveries of serving size packets, and that's what she eats. And that's all that she will eat. Like the rest of us have a meal, and she has that, and and that's just the way it is. Like, there's no talking her out of that either. How old is she? Uh, she's twenty. Wow, and she lives at home. Yeah, still while she's going to school. Yeah, interesting. What do you think, Lynn? What would you tell well, her? What I, what I say with um, clients who exercise is that it's a socially acceptable way to vomit. Very interesting. Be- because basically what you're doing is you're, it serves the same function as vomiting, but if you say you're exercising, everybody goes, wow, that's so great. You must be in great shape. And, wow. and that kind of reinforces that when, in fact, in those instances when somebody is unable to stop or reduce, then it's an obsession that is related to an eating disorder quite frequently. What should he do? Well, I would suggest talking to her. Have you ever mentioned that you're concerned about the amount of exercise that she does? I have um, the sibling relationship. Uh, Maybe she doesn't listen to me as much. I was actually going to ask if I should try to bring other people involved. um, I would definitely do that. Okay. Like an intervention. What I hear a lot from people is, in fact, I have one patient right now who has been struggling for over 20 years, and she basically said, I did this for years and years, and no one ever said anything. And did she want somebody to say something to her? Yeah. I think now she feels hurt that nobody did. I think in the moment when you say something to them, they won't be happy to hear it because this is something that I kind of like to think of it as like a a stuffed animal or a blanket, kind of like this security security thing that they have. And when you point a light on it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, everybody can see I'm walking around with a teddy bear. This is embarrassing. Whereas by pointing it out, then it forces them to actually have to start to realize that people see what they're doing. 
oftentimes with eating disorders, they think that nobody notices. Ah, well, there you go, Jason. That's the thing to do. Have a mini intervention. Do you have people that would support you in it? I think uh, I think if I talk to my parents, they would get involved, and I think maybe one of her girlfriends, if if I really kind of get her to 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 step it up. That would be good. And Lynn, give him your website so he can really get on there and educate himself. Because I think the more educated you are, Jason, before the discussion and then bring people back to that education and hook them to the website, it'll give them knowledge, which is power, and it'll really move it mm-hmm. more. In the um, way my need. website is www.sf, as in San Francisco, Bay, mm-hmm. beyonddieting.com. Okay, fantastic. All right, and call us back if you need something. Stay in touch through the website. Great. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. That was very interesting, Lynn, to be able to see and say to somebody that exercise is socially accepted vomiting because once you take that kind of pretty package off of it, the wrapping, you really yeah. see what it's about. That's really, you know, taking that security away, and I think that's really key. That's great. Yeah. And do you say that often to people? Absolutely. They don't like to hear it, but I do say it. Good job. Good job. So I think that it's interesting and I think it's empowering, but these are really devastating illnesses that creep up on you sometimes. There's Jason who's got, you know, a sister who sits at the table and they eat and as a family and nobody's really even sure what they're dealing with. Yeah. It's a silent killer and we got to take a look at it. And I'm really very happy that you came on today and that you gave this information. Again, it's Lynn Martin, registered dietitian. Her website is www.sf, as in San Francisco, Bay, beyonddieting.com. Jump on her website, ask her questions. She's got a lot of great information. We got a lot today, which is really wonderful. Learned about CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy and the need for consistency, regulation in eating and the emotional components. And we also learned about a very key and under and really, I never even thought about it this way, that exercise oftentimes for anyone with an eating disorder is socially accepted vomiting. That's going to be my statement of the day. Lynn, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So that was interesting. We had uh, Lynn Martin, registered dietitian from the San Francisco Bay Area on our phone, talk to Jason, who had a sister who had uh, issues, and we learned a lot of stuff today about eating, the emotional component to it, how to retrain your brain, that group therapy and eating disorders is really key for mirroring and others to be able to support you through it and also show you where you've been, that they were there and they've come a long way and you're here now and also learned the importance of the trusting relationship of the team that's wrapped around the person with an eating disorder. We also learned about teens and, and the impact of body image and the issues that go along with triggering an eating disorder in males and in females. Very interesting. Many people often think that, oh, teenage girls are really the people who get eating disorders. But we learned today from Lynn that young teen boys get it as well. Oftentimes wrestlers who have to be focused on their weight. So a lot of great information today. And we did learn one thing that many people disguise eating disorders. And we did also learn that they can oftentimes be a silent killer because not only are you not eating, you're not eating well when you do eat, And that you have changes going on in your body from an electrolyte balance to a bone growth issue. And you may not even know these things are going on in your body. And that's why they're silent. And then they can really come up and kill you. And I mean kill you. You can have a heart arrhythmia and your heart can stop. 
brittle bones that break, different kinds of things that you do not understand are happening in your body. So eating disorders oftentimes are a silent killer. Please keep your eyes open. If you see somebody that may have an issue, please talk to them. We learned today that group interventions are good. We had our registered dietitian expert, Lynn Martin, on from the San Francisco Bay Area who told us that the best way to do it is to sit down and expose it for them in a safe and comfortable way, but nonetheless sit down with others and talk to that person so that they do trust. They may not like what they're hearing, but you're going to take away that security that they hide behind, whether it's exercise or running to the bathroom to throw up or whatever it is. And once you take that away, they are feeling exposed and they do see that then as a problem and will start to basically address it on some level over time if they don't jump on getting it trained and treated right away. But again, eating disorders, very significant, very pervasive, very, very important because they are in every part of our society today. As our dietitian told us today, it's really ramped up with everybody wanting to be on a diet these days and looking good. Again, Dr. Sophie uh, here with our podcast weekly. I'd like to say thank you to all of my listeners and callers for today's show. I want to remind everyone that the podcasts are available on my website at www.drsophie.com. And I want to remind you that you can call me at any time, leave me a voicemail, or you can send me an email through the website. But if you want to call and leave a voicemail, it's one eight five five sophie now or one eight five five seven six seven four nine six six. Please, I need your thoughts. I need your input. I need your feedback. Everybody gets a copy of my book, Side by Side. You can find it on Amazon.com or off of my website. And please follow me on Twitter and Facebook for updates on appearances and any new podcast coming up. And again, visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And don't forget to sweep. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey. You gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head